Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, let's start with a little crowd participation today. Is that okay? I need a little, I'm feeling a little like this. Is anybody else feeling a little, a little activated? A lot of crying kids this morning. Okay, so uh, anyone familiar, I'm sure you are, with this notification? Who, um, by show of hands, who hits remind me later every time? I do it until my app stops working. Do you guys do that? Then you, you have to update like your banking app and it's like, oh, now your phone, like nothing on your phone works. That's what I, I got one. I planned this and then I got one last night before I, bet, hit, before I went to bed and I was like, I'm going to hit remind me later. That's what I do. This is my problem. And so, um, yeah, don't, we can talk about what that means for the rest of my life, a different time. I know it's a problem. Um, but here's what I want us to do today, okay? We're going to talk about kind of updating our internal operating systems. Ooh, thank you. That's how I felt about it when I said it out loud. Uh, so we all have an internal operating system, right? The way in which we see the world and interact with the world. Uh, a lot of us live uh, with like a built-in accounting system, like you have Excel up in your brain all the time. Anyone love Excel, by the way? Nerds. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I made it a safe space and then I made fun of you. Um, it's going to happen sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, you might have an, you might kind of live with like an Excel spreadsheet in your mind. Right, so you're evaluating the whole world, your own worth maybe, how hard you've worked, what you deserve. Or maybe you have like a master calendar up and you're um, kind of gauging if you've accomplished what you think you should have accomplished by a certain amount of time and you're kind of running on this whole big master calendar. Uh, if you're like me, it's less calendar, less Excel spreadsheet. I'm a simple guy. It's like, the, like a legal scale. It's kind of how I run my life. Um, where I'm just trying to keep like an equilibrium. And maybe you have some things like that, like maybe uh, with, you, you put your body on the scale, like evaluating your food intake and your exercise. Like take a morning walk and then you can eat the donut that's at the front of the church, eat a salad for lunch, have a whole pint of ice cream for dinner. You know, it's like a back and forth kind of thing. You're just kind of trying to live with this equilibrium and balance everything out. A lot of us do this kind of legal scale balance is everything okay in our interpersonal relationships a lot so we're, we're kind of constantly asking have i done enough to be okay here we're like they sent a period instead of an exclamation point and they usually almost always send an exclamation point so like are we good it's a lot of that because you're just saying like what have i done to maybe make this per it's just a constant evaluation of our whole life and um, we think about god like this right sometimes we uh, come to church, do religious things, stay after to pack care packages. Please stay after us. Sometimes we do that, though, because we think that will make God happy, and we're kind of asking, is everything okay here? And we've heard that God has a plan for us, and so we put this master calendar up to say, is the way I'm living my life, at the pace I'm living my life, is it keeping up with this plan that I keep hearing about? So here's some good news for you today, Okay. God is a bad accountant. God is a bad accountant. And some of you CPAs are like, I don't like this at all. God is a bad accountant. God's not counting or evaluating or measuring. And we can only ever understand the good news of God's love if we stop measuring and counting and weighing. 
God is just a bad accountant. And we've been walking through these parables of Jesus, uh, these teachings that offer images and songs and stories to help us kind of understand and see what the kingdom of God is like and what God is like. And today we're going to read um, this parable. It's, it's called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And it's a story about counting and measuring and weighing. And it's also quite a long story. We're going to read it all. Is that okay? I always ask permission. It doesn't matter if you said yes or no. I always feel bad. As soon as I ask it, I'm like, I don't care. If you shake your head no, I'm like, next slide. Um, okay, so this is Matthew chapter 20. This is the parable of the laborers in the venue. Uh, and this is what Jesus says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went again about noon and about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And so he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have, been, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is what the kingdom of God is like, a landowner who pays the workers the same no matter how much or how long they worked. Even as I'm reading it, I'm feeling my own weighing and counting and measuring. Like I'm going like, okay, they started at five, they only worked an hour. The other folks started at eight, so they worked eight to six. I'm like doing the math in my head. I'm like, okay, it's a 10 hour day. I'm like trying to divvy up what maybe the last people should have earned because I have a should have earned framework in my mind. I've sometimes called this um, a deservedness framework that we sometimes walk around with this who deserves what kind of way of living. That's what goes into our Excel spreadsheets or our master calendar or our legal scale. Does this person deserve it? Do I deserve it? And that deservedness formula, it usually goes something like um, time spent plus right action equals deserving. So if you work hard for a long time and you're a good person, whatever we decide means good person, then you deserve it, right? Right. If you, um, if you have instant success, most of the time we don't like that. We're like, oh, they didn't deserve what they got because it's fast. We, we like when people have to grind or when people work real hard, but they um, vote different than us, behave different than us, uh, look different than us. We say, oh, they're not the right kind of people to deserve. So yeah, they worked a long time, but I don't know if it was right action. And we, we all kind of use this deserving or undeserving framework all day long. In this parable from Jesus, it's a challenge, a kind of subversion of our ideas about deserving or undeserving. 
the challenge is that default operating system in our mind that's walking around with that Excel spreadsheet or that legal scale or that master calendar. And it touches all kinds of things and probably a lot of our interpersonal relationships, the ways we think about work. But like most of the parables of Jesus, this is meant to show us something about God. It's meant to challenge our understanding of how we think about God. And last week we talked about the love of God requiring no repayment. That when God gives us acceptance and love and grace, we don't owe anything back to God. And that's good news. Right? That, that even though we may have made, been made to feel like uh, we're supposed to trade in our desires when we receive love or acceptance, or our identity, part of our identity when we receive love and acceptance, that when we receive that acceptance from God, we don't owe God or anyone else anything. It's just simply a gift. This parable is about what happens before we accept that love and acceptance, right? So last week we talked about, so after you're like, I'm in, I'm accepted, I'm loved by God. You don't owe God back anything. This is about before we receive that. This parable is about our tendency because of our deservingness framework, our internal operating system, our Excel spreadsheet, whatever that is, all of those tabs open in our brain, they create this tendency in us to believe we need to earn or deserve or measure up in order to receive goodness and love and kindness. Henry Nouwen says it like this. There are many voices, voices that are loud, full of promise and very seductive, voices that suggest I'm not going to be loved without my having earned it through determined efforts and hard work. They want me to prove to myself and others that I am worth being loved. And they keep pushing me to do everything possible to gain acceptance. Is that still? Okay, good. My slides went down on my thing. They deny loudly that love is a totally free gift. So we say with our mouths a lot during worship that God's love is free for all. We believe it. Part of, a, part of us, I think, believes it. And I think most of us believe that it's free for all, like other people, but I don't know that we believe it for ourselves all that much. And Jesus tells stories about banquets where everyone is invited and about Folks who get paid the same no matter how much they work. And Jesus says out loud, come to me all who are weary. And I think sometimes we hear these stories and we hear Jesus say, come to me all who are weary. And we think to ourselves, am I weary enough? Have I done enough to be weary? I don't know if I deserve to really feel weary because there's this other person who's been through a lot. And so I'm going to kind of step to the side because other people are really struggling. And yeah, I'm a little weary, but I don't know if I'm that weary. And then we just convince ourselves that we don't quite deserve enough. God stands among us declaring that divine love and goodness and presence are available to all, a free gift. And we just kind of naturally, because of our dispositions, because of all those open tabs, God says, it's all free and I want to give it to you. And we kind of naturally move to the corner and create like a system and an application. We create our own application processes to get to God's love. And then we spend our life filling out the application. I've done enough. I've attended church. I've believed the right things. And God just keeps standing among us saying, don't you see, it's, it's just a, it's a big party and I've invited everyone. You see, it doesn't matter if you started really early in the morning or at the end of the day, you all get the same. And we say, yeah, I'm just, I have to finish this application. <laughs> We've created this system in our mind, but we can only understand God's love if we stop measuring and counting. It's not just, I'm going to take back my earlier phrase. God isn't just a bad accountant. God isn't an accountant at all. 
That's not the deal. There is no counting. And this need um, to measure this kind of scorekeeping we do all the time, it's clearly not a new problem. We talked a couple weeks ago about how um, anxiety and insecurity are kind of built into our religious systems. That from the very early on, in the earliest religion, it was baked in. Anxiety and insecurity just kind of baked into the way it all worked. And I think for most of us, it's that anxiety, that insecurity that leads to all these systems of keeping score and measuring and weighing and counting. Because again, we just want to know, like, where do I stand with God? And so then we create a system because we're like, if I could keep score, that would make me feel better. Because I want to know if I'm like, I need to be in like the top 10% of the kingdom of God. I think you get automatic entry. Is that still how it works? And so we create our own system. And God never asked for the system, but we need to keep score so that we can say, are we okay? This makes me feel better. I'm so anxious. Like we send the we good text to God like all day long. And humanity has always had this misguided view of God, that, that somehow we're separated from God. And that when we make bad choices, that God moves further away from us. And that's not the story. You know, in the Bible, we see that God's people have this perceived separation. The people of God, they just continue to believe that God is distant and far away. And so God's people build altars and they make sacrifices to try to make themselves right. They build temples and tabernacles to try to box God in so they know exactly where God is. They create systems of power and laws and a whole society forms around keeping score and knowing exactly where they stand with God. Are we good, God? We'll do anything to find out. And all through the Bible, if you read these stories, interspersed between all the systems and the laws and the sacrifices and the temples and the tabernacles, God just keeps saying, I am with you wherever you go. Do not be afraid. I will never leave you or forsake you. And they say, that sounds fine, God. I just need to go finish my altar so that I can make sure we're good. And God says, do not be afraid. I am with you wherever you go. And they say, okay, but if we get the laws wrong, should we stone the other people? And God is like, do not be afraid. And then Jesus shows up. And because of our need to keep score, because of our legal scale, because of our master calendar, the creator of the universe comes in the flesh. And us humans think, instead of going like, wow, how amazing to get this in the flesh reminder that God has always been with us, we go, wow, I can't believe we're so bad and so separated that God had to show up to deal with us. And now we hear and we sometimes even teach things like we were so far from God that God's son had to die to bring us back to God. We use the legal scale and we put a death on it to go, maybe if someone died, that would make me good with God. And it's just our own, it's our own insecurity that makes us think, where do we stand? Is everything okay? But God never separates. God has never left God's people. The answer is always, God stands with you. If you were asking, where do I stand with God? The answer is God stands right next to you. And I just choose to believe. I know the Bible is complicated. 
And I know you have a complicated relationship to it, but I just choose to believe the Bible when it says, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? And neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Like nothing will be, not death, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. In this one, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, I promise you've heard it at a wedding. Love keeps no record. That's what the Apostle Paul says. That we believe God is love and love keeps no record. You hear the message from the parable and through the whole Bible? Just shut down all those open tabs. Just get rid of the legal scale of what you believe to be God's master calendar plan for you. Just put it all away. God is not counting. God is not measuring. God is not weighing. And you don't have to either. Love is available to you here and now without having to measure up and will never understand divine love and acceptance unless we can stop measuring and weighing and counting. And so for you, how much are you measuring and weighing and counting? How much time do you spend? How much brain space does that occupy for you? And maybe it's about deserving or undeserving. You're just kind of walking around. You're mad at the person, three people in front of you at the coffee shop because they weren't ready when they got to the front. And you're like, you don't deserve to be in front of me in the line. Maybe that's you. Apparently that's me since that just rolled right out of me. Maybe that's you. Or maybe I hear from a lot of people that they have this timeline. Maybe you're a master calendar person and you go, I feel, I just constantly feel behind. That you, you know, you've been told your whole life that God has a plan for you and you go, I think I'm like at least 18 months behind on the plan. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a legal scale. But just what tabs kind of live open in your brain? And then for you, are you able to receive love and goodness even when you haven't earned it? Like when you hear that the God of the universe says, if you are tired or weary, you come to me. Is there a little part of you that goes, maybe I should get a little more weary, work a little harder? And I know it's, it might be hard to conceptualize with God if you do that. Like if you're unable to receive love, maybe that's hard to conceptualize. But maybe just think of it like in really small ways. Like do you feel like you have to earn the food you eat? Do you feel like you have to earn the rest that you give yourself? Do you feel like you have to earn any kind of goodness in the world? Maybe you could think about um, when the times that you actually needed help, if you've thought you're doing bad enough to receive it. We run that formula in our brain all the time. But are you able to receive love and goodness even when you haven't earned it? And then how could you start to unlearn this way of being and kind of update that system? Right? Maybe it just means starting to notice your motivations, like why you're doing some things, right? like why you are participating in your spirituality the way you are. Like, is it to make God happy? Are you doing it for God? Are you waiting uh, to get kind of patted on the back a little bit? Are you doing it for praise? Like, what's, what's your motivation? Do you feel like you're doing it to earn something? And maybe you could just, if you're working to kind of unlearn these habits of keeping score Maybe kind of flip the internal script a little bit for yourself. So if you're a person who thinks, um, have I worked out enough to eat this meal? 
Maybe you could just start asking yourself, like, have I eaten enough today to work out? And if you're the kind of person who thinks, um, have I worked enough? Have I worked hard enough to really rest today? You could start just asking yourself, have I rested enough to be able to work really well today? If you have to ask yourself, have I done enough for God to receive love? Maybe just start asking, have I received enough love and to be able to really do in the world? Right? And all those kind of narratives that you run, just try to flip them. However you keep score, whatever framework you use, just try to turn them around a little bit. Have I received enough love? Have I been open enough to receive love so that I can really do in the world? But just keep flipping that script that says you have to earn. Right? Keep doing any theology that says God is an angry accountant. Or we can only ever, stand, only ever understand the good news of God's love if we stop measuring and weighing and counting. Uh, I have a, a friend named uh, Scott who uh, talks really openly, uh, publicly about uh, his season, a season of real darkness and depression. And I did ask him if I could share his story today. Um, but a, a few years ago, Scott was really burned out, struggling uh, artist, uh, just d- depressed, like not another way to put it and not like you know, some people use those kind of phrase, mental health phrases colloquially, like he was depressed. And um, he was just having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. And maybe you know what that's like. And for a little while, he talks about how um, he tried hustling his way out of that, like working harder. And um, he was working a, a corporate job at the time and trying to be an artist. And he told his wife, I guess I just won't sleep very much. And I'll just work at night instead of sleeping. That didn't work. I don't know if you guys... Then maybe um, this, it sounds familiar to you that you get to the place of darkness, of struggle, that you can't, um, you can't achieve your way out of things that you actually need to heal from. And I think that's our first step, usually, is we go, I'm not going to be able to grind out of this. And um, somewhere in that darkness and just feeling like, I can't get out of bed in the morning, I don't know what to do. Um, Scott got some like work as an art, like as an artist, he got uh, a gig that paid really well. And so he went home, he told his wife about it and his wife replied and said, Oh, what a, what a gift. And Scott liked that. He was like, that's a nice thing to say. That was a gift. And the next morning he, uh, woke up and he did not want to get out of bed. And he said, the only thing he could think of was, um, I like gifts. (laughs) And so he said to himself in his bed, Maybe there's a gift for me today. And he got out of bed. And that worked for a few days, and then it kind of stopped working. And then he said, uh, maybe there's a few gifts for me today. <laughs> and he started saying that to himself, and that helped a little bit. And then he started saying, you know, maybe this whole day is a gift. And then maybe all of life is a gift. And he says that along with really good professional care, what pulled him out of that season of darkness was the real realization that life is less a purpose to be accomplished and more a gift to be received. Less an accomplishment, less a to-do list, less a master calendar, less a constant accounting of our lives, and more just simply a gift to be received.
And so maybe today, as you just make an attempt to push away from the need to evaluate and count and measure and earn, you could just start seeing all of this as a gift. So you just kind of walk around, regardless of how hard it might be, and I know that it's hard, that you start walking around and just say, what a gift, what a gift, what a gift. That every person you look in the eye made in the image of God is another gift to be received. And instead of evaluating yourself and evaluating our world as good or bad or deserving or undeserving or earned or unearned or fair or unfair, that you just look at your life, that you look at your world, your circumstances, that you look at your kids, that you look at your partner, you look at your own body, and you just declare, what a gift. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. May you receive the free gift of God's love. Turn down every voice that tries to convince you you have to earn or achieve or impress your way to healing or acceptance. Open your hands and receive divine love. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.